Amen. Thank you, Jedediah. Good morning, everyone, again. Um, We are starting a new series, which I'm really excited about. And part of the new series comes from this idea that our, our culture, really you could say our world, has been wrestling with a couple of questions related to the pandemic and the virus. And those questions is, is God saying something to us? He has allowed this pandemic to come. He's allowed this pandemic and virus to spread. He's allowed it to persist for a lot longer than I would say most people, at least myself, thought it would be around. And so the question is, is is God saying something in the midst of this virus and pandemic? And if so, what is it that he's saying? What is he seeking to communicate? Is there a message he is communicating to us? My son Luke asked, it was last year in the midst of the pandemic, and he said, Dad, with, with the virus and the, and, and the racial tension and all the political strife, and there's a number of folks saying that this is, feels like end times, like Jesus is coming back really soon. What do you think? And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure January 31st, 2021 is the date. No, I said actually there's a number of of signs that just in my reading of Revelation, of course, I approach it humbly and Jesus could come back at any moment. But there seems to be some signs that I'm looking for, like the reconstruction of the temple, the revelation of the Antichrist, and even though I've heard that first Obama was the Antichrist, and then, and then it was Trump was the Antichrist, I haven't heard that about Biden yet, but you know, he's early into his administration. Um, so waiting for some of those events, I said, but I do believe that all of these things God allows in part because they are birth pains, Jesus said. They should point us to that event that Jesus has communicated to us about when he will return, not to die on a cross and save us from our sins. That was his first coming. He will return as the Lion of Judah. He will return to judge the the living and the dead. So as we look at these things, it should turn our gaze to him and his return. And I also believe that I, and, and have come to a number of conclusions about what God is saying. The first question, conclusion that I've come to is, I'm not really sure what he's saying. How do you like that for some sweet prophetic ministry right there? But my second conclusion is this. I know what he has said to the church and to the world. And I'm pretty sure that if we look at what he has communicated to the churches and to the world, that that will go a long way in us 
deciphering and discerning what he's saying to us in this present moment. You see, we have this unique portion of scripture that is really different than any of the other portions of scripture that we have. It is at the end of the the last book the, the book of Revelation, if you would turn, if you've brought your Bibles, you can turn with that. We will have the section for you on the screens. But we have the section where, where John, the apostle, has a vision of the resurrected Christ. And he's going to communicate things of the future. But before he does, he's going to communicate individually to seven individual churches. And he, the resurrected Christ, is gonna communicate the things that please God's heart, the things he's gonna affirm and bless and say, well done, yes, do that. And as we read those blessings to the churches, we can listen for his voice and say, yeah, he's saying, God bless you, yes, Well done, do that. But then also the resurrected Christ, he also says to the individual churches, depending on their context, their community of faith, he says, no, 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 I have this against you. You're missing it in this way. And he's providing loving correction to the churches. And so let's read just, I'm going to read a few of the verses just to give you a a picture of John. This is happening, um, let me give you a little bit of context. This is happening in in the just one generation removed from when, when Christ walked the earth. This was probably around 90, 95 AD. John was the last apostle that was uh, remaining. All the others had, had been killed, had been martyred. And John, he is banished to an island of Patmos, probably by the emperor Domitian. We have a map of where John was. You can see that island there in the lower left-hand corner, Patmos. That's where John was banished to. And then you can see in Asia the seven churches that are around. And, and we are going to walk through following the revelation of Christ to the churches and look at his message first to Ephesus, church in Ephesus, Smyrna, and go around the circle. And we're going to be listening and seeking to apply and hear deeply his words. Let's begin at verse 9 just to begin to get this idea and feel of what's happening. He does a prologue. He, he greets the churches, greets you. I'd encourage you to read the, the first part of chapter 1 sometime this week. And then he says in verse 9, John writes, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom... Beautiful statement, but interesting statement. In the suffering and the kingdom, John is saying, I'm with you in all the pain and all the struggle and all the difficulty and also in the kingdom of God, which is spilling out on earth today. 
your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's Day, probably Sunday, so uh, uh, Saturday was the Sabbath day. The Lord's Day had become Sunday because of the resurrection of Christ Jesus. On the Lord's Day, I was in the Spirit. Perhaps he was praying uh, in the gift of tongues, but he was praying in, in such a way that he was in the manifest presence of the Spirit. He's praying on the island. And he says, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. It wasn't a gentle voice. It wasn't a kind voice. Loud voice. Piercing like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. All right, so just get in your mind, John, the only one remaining of the original apostles, he was preaching the word of God, talking about Jesus. They'd martyred all the others. He's on Patmos. He's praying, probably praying for the church. He's in the midst of some pretty heavy-duty persecution in, in the world for Christians. Right, this was just one generation removed. The Roman Empire, which was the controlling empire, they did not bless or encourage or support the Christian faith. They saw it as a cult that sometimes they would suppress. And so you had most of the churches, which was somewhat fledgling and fragile still, they were under persecution as Christians. Perhaps some of them were wondering, Hey, is this gonna? Are we gonna be okay? Are we gonna? I mean, all the original apostles save one, and now the only one left from Christ. What's what's happening? God, are you seeing? Help, God! Can you imagine the sense of of fear and concern and wondering? What's the future of the church? What's my future as a Christian? When you experience that kind of persecution, no wonder John says, I'm with you in the midst of the suffering and the struggle and the pain, as well as the kingdom of God. John praying on this island in the manifest presence of God, and he hears a voice, and he is going to turn to see who is speaking. Now, before I read the next couple of passages, I want you to, to do something with me. Would you take a moment, just close your eyes, whether you're in the sanctuary, whether you're at home, watching on the live stream, would you close your eyes, and I want you to just, what is the first picture or portrait of Jesus that pops in your head? Get that portrait of Jesus that pops in your head. Do you, do you have it? Okay. I don't know if you're like me, but usually I imagine Jesus as a shepherd, a good shepherd, right? 
Did some of you think of Jesus as that shepherd? Maybe there was a, a children's book that you grew up with and had a picture of Jesus with, right, with all the sheep and he's there. I was recently in a Christian bookstore and there was Jesus playing on the soccer field. Have you seen those? He's like, right? I get the idea. It's a little cheesy, but the idea, we used to have this businessman, Jesus, man sitting at his desk and Jesus over the man and we used to pass it around as a staff. We, we blessed Ephraim as a parting gift with that. I think he still has it. What was the image of Jesus that popped into your head? I want to suggest that most likely the image that we are about to read was not the one that popped into your head. In fact, this image, I, I think there's many times that we need Jesus to be that good shepherd. I, in fact, I would say most of the times when I pray to Christ, I'm praying to my good shepherd and, and name him as such. But there are times, especially when we're struggling, especially when we have a high degree of need or that sense of feeling persecuted, there are times that we need a vision of the resurrected Christ Jesus. We need a vision of the Lion of Judah who is strong and mighty and powerful and will back down anything we are facing in our lives. This portrait of Jesus is what he chose to share with the Christians of John's day and he's choosing to share with us this morning. All right, let's continue. We'll read through the rest of the chapter, starting at verse 12, and then we'll unpack it just a little bit. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was some like, uh, someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of a rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Do you see it? Do you see him in your mind's eye? When I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand 
and of the golden lampstands is this, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, now, Revelation, as most of you know, is a highly symbolic book, and when there's a symbol, it's really nice when John interprets the symbols for us, as he does, the seven stars and the lampstands, the, the seven angels of the churches, which is interesting and intriguing, suggesting that some, there are angels over perhaps each community of faith, that that is their assignment from heaven, that we might have an angel of the Lord assigned specifically to our community of faith. And those lampstands are the churches that Jesus is walking uh, around, that he has, that he cares for, that he loves, that he's still shepherding. But then you want to take the other symbols and seek to understand the significance and what they might represent and how they might inform our faith, our prayer life, and how we live out our Christian life. Okay, let's talk about the symbols of Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Let's look at first the, the long robe and the golden sash that was across his chest. That is probably representing the idea that Jesus is our high priest. That Jesus is still actively ministering on your behalf. We're told that Jesus is still interceding for the fa- to the Father for you and me, his followers. How that works and the, the dynamic between Jesus and the intercession. By the way, the Holy Spirit also intercedes for you before the Father. How that all works in the Trinity Profound uh, mystery there. However, Jesus is still the high priest that is ministering forgiveness, grace, mercy, the love of God to us, his followers. It's a picture of the high priest. His hair was white as wool and snow. That represents infinite and divine wisdom. That in scripture, God is referred to as the only wise God. That that now Jesus is the source of all true wisdom. And further, you link that with James who talks about if you're in need of wisdom, the wisdom of God, all you need to do is ask. And that is part of the ministry of Christ Jesus and the Spirit of God in our lives. Is he's revealing and bringing wisdom, revelation, understanding, and conviction. Eyes of blazing fire. Can you imagine how overwhelming that would have been to John to see these eyes just blazing with fire? This perhaps represents penetrating insight that Jesus knows you better than you know yourself, 
that he knows you from the inside out. He knows the brokenness and the struggles of our soul. He knows what we need. He knows our fears, our difficulties, our struggle, our joys. He knows that and sees all of that. His feet glowing bronze like in a furnace. Can you imagine that? That represents probably power over his enemies, over your enemies. There's a a promise that God gives to his Messiah that he will make a footstool, that the Messiah will put his foot on all the enemies, all the, 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 our enemies from the, the kingdom of darkness that are still present in the world, that are, are still working things like the virus and the pandemic, still wor- working strife and depression and struggle and cancer, all of those dark enemies, there is a day that Jesus the Messiah will end all of their work and make them a footstool. Amen. A voice of rushing water. You ever been to the uh, Grand Canyon, that waterfall, uh, the power of that? Imagine that. And link that with the idea of the double-edged sword that is coming from his mouth. That'd be a little bit intimidating, yes? Double-edged sword, this idea of both blessing and correction. God's speaking. He he loves you. He, He wants you to overcome all that is in your life, all that you're struggling with right now. And by way to do that is blessing and correction. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God, which we know Jesus is, the word of God is living and active, is powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The wisdom, the knowledge, the voice, the word of Christ Jesus pierces us and divides us. The, the, the chaff from the good life. And finally, the face like the brilliant sun. I mean... He's got eyes that are glowing, <laughs> feet that, and yet even beyond that, his face is, is full of glory. Do you see him? You see the picture of that, that he, John, receives of Christ Jesus. This is how Christ reveals himself to John and now to you and I, that face, that like the brilliant sun represents the divine glory and divine presence of God. As Moses' face used to reflect the Lord's glory when he would spend some time with him in the tent of meetings or the tabernacle, 
He'd come out and his face, he would have to wear that covering because it was so overwhelming, reflecting the glory. Now Jesus, as God, being God, filled with the glory of God in our midst. Hallelujah. That is our Jesus. That is who Jesus is right now, this very moment. He's at the right hand of the Father, enthroned in heaven. That isn't a past picture that is no more. You know what a past picture is? There's no more. Is Jesus on the cross. He's not there anymore. He has been transformed. I wonder if John remembered the moment of transfiguration when Jesus brought the the three disciples closest to him and he's transformed into the glory, his true state. And he says, ah, that is the truest of who Christ Jesus is. So my question is, what do we do with that? How, How do we respond to that. I want to suggest that the first way that we respond, I have a little bit of a challenge for you. Over the next several weeks, I want to encourage and invite you to begin to pray to this Jesus. Would you pray with this picture of who Christ is and allow it to direct and guide your prayers. Most of them, I think, will be prayers of adoration. Yes? How could they not be? But also, they'll lead to prayers of supplication and requests. I've been challenging myself in preparation for this series to pray with this portrait of Jesus in my mind. In fact, can we do that just for a moment, just to help model and help understand that? If you would pray with me both at home and here in the sanctuary. I'm just going to pray this portrait of Christ. Lord Jesus, we praise you. We are so thankful that you are our great high priest. Thank you that you're ministering the the mercy and forgiveness of God, the the grace and the abounding love, the, the loving kindness of God into our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for us for that. Praise you, Jesus, that you are the source of all wisdom. Lord, you know we desperately need your wisdom today and how we live our lives today at work, in relationships with our children, with our our parents, Lord. Lord, we ask, Lord, we ask, as James told us, we ask for, for wisdom from you, Lord. Lord, we, we recognize, Jesus, that you know us better than we know ourselves. That you know our hearts, 
our fears, our struggles. Lord, you know um, the times that we rejoice in you. Lord, we want to pray like David prayed, that you would search us and know us and know our anxious thoughts. Lord, we recognize, Jesus, that you are the lamb without blemish, the lamb that was slain, and yet also, Jesus, you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the lion of Judah, that you, Jesus, are the only begotten son of God, that Jesus, you rule and reign over all the earth, and in our lives, and Lord Jesus, we look to the day that, that one day you will make a footstool of all of the enemies, all the brokenness, Lord God. One day there will be no more curse at work in our lives, at work in our world. Praise you, Jesus. Lord, we Know that you speak with a double-edged sword, Lord, that you speak blessing and correction. Jesus, we want to have soft hearts before you and a willingness to be corrected and challenged, a willingness to receive your blessing and favor. And Jesus, we recognize you as the only true God. That it's your glory, your kingdom, your power. Would you rest, rest your manifest presence in our midst. Pray all this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Would you use that as a guide? Would you just take that scripture, and pray that to Jesus. Because I think when we do that, I think we're going to hear his words that much more deeply and understand that much more what he is saying to us as individuals, what he's saying to us as a community of faith, Springs Community Church, what he's saying to the, to the global church and to the world as we pray to Jesus who is enthroned in heaven and on high. The second way of responding to this, I would believe, would be, and it comes from uh, verse 17, is don't fear, but revere. Don't fear, but revere. Look at verse 17 again with me. John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. John doesn't see this picture and go, Jesus, I've missed you. Love you. He's like, Oh. And he falls down, and, and Jesus places his hand, and he says, do not fear. And I really, I believe that Jesus means this in two ways. One, he says, I'm the living one. 
Do not fear anything in this world. Do not fear any diagnosis. Do not fear any pandemic. Do not fear anything here. I am the living one. I've got you. I've got you in my hand. I know you. I love you. I'm pouring out my wisdom in your life. Do not fear, but receive all I have for you. David says this in Psalm 27. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What's this world got? Is that all you got? Have you seen my Jesus? He's got this double-edged sword thing happening. What do you got? David says, right? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You mean, Jesus, any struggle, any fear, any difficulty, any pain, I get to bring that to you and give it to you? My, my, my child that I care for, somehow I get to place that at your feet? That what the doctor said, I, I get to put that, my, my finances and my struggle, the, 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 I get to place that before you, Jesus? Whom shall I fear? Whatever your greatest fear, grand or small, we get to place it before this resurrected Jesus. David also says this in another psalm. He says, he talks about fear in another way. He says, Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. I just like that because it talks about angels and there's some have the belief that the Bible teaches that we also have individual angels that encamp and protect us around us. It's not just a, a childhood story. There's some scripture that would seem to point in that direction. And what Paul or, or what David is saying in this psalm is how I think also Jesus means it when he touches the hand of John and he says, do not fear Don't fear the world around you and don't fear me. The biblical fear or part of the fear does mean revere, does mean reverence, does mean we live our lives in the shadow of his wings that we don't run and flee from his holy presence. If we didn't have Jesus to cover up our sin, then yeah, run and flee, right? Adam and Eve hide in the bushes, right? But with Christ Jesus, because he died on the cross and covers us with his blood, that he received our sin and then gives us his righteousness. We get to see the shining face and the glory of God and the presence of God and not run but allow it to draw us close into his presence. Yes? We allow him and we approach him in that 
spirit of worship and adoration and even veneration and praise. He draws us in. We don't fear God, but we revere him. I was talking to uh, my sister uh, a while, I think this was a couple years back, and I still remember her comment. My, my sister has this really beautiful faith, and in some ways, she, she has a connection with the other side in beautiful ways that, that I don't have, um, but I, I love and see that. And sometimes she's had some what she would call waking dreams or visions of the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. And she's had some of the, that great cloud of witness. My dad, who's passed away now 20 years or so ago, that, that she's had this waking dream and there's been a time, the sense, and she believes as I do, that sometimes the great cloud of witnesses, they have assignments as well. God grants them assignments like angels. And, uh, and so she believes that my father had an assignment and he spoke into different aspects of her life, sometimes my life, which she transmitted to me. Um, in different ways. And uh, she was talking and she said this, you know, Eric, let me tell you, believing that our earthly dad can see my life from heaven, uh, that is incredibly motivational. <laughs> I want to make better decisions in my life. You see what she's saying? That, that this idea that the great cloud of witnesses is aware of the decisions we make that sees the reality on this earth. She wants to make better decisions. And if we feel that way about the great cloud of witnesses, if we feel that way about our earthly fathers or mothers or parents, how much more should we feel that way about our heavenly father, about this Jesus that sees our lives, that's holding our lives in his hands, that, is, that knows us better than anyone, better than the great cloud of witness, that if he is watching and he's rooting for us, he's desiring that we would overcome any adversity that we face, that we would live the life he died for us to have, how much more should we live for his glory, his honor and praise, yes? I think when we pray to this Jesus it will change how we live in the day to day, how we treat the stranger, how we treat our loved ones, how we treat the enemy of our soul. And finally, I would say this, is that we need to listen and listen some more. We need to discern with a humility and a faith from this portrait of Jesus. Did you know that, that scripture is very concerned with how we listen, the quality of our listening? Did you know that? Like often when Jesus would, would give a parable or teaching, he would say, he who has ears, 
Let him hear. And I wonder if there's someone in the audience who are like, he who has ears doesn't, I mean, is, is there a high percentage of those who don't have ears or what is that? What's happening here, right? He would say that on a regular basis. Of course, what Jesus was doing is saying the quality, how you listen to my words, how you're paying attention, the, the, the shape of your heart, whether soft or hard, receptive or prideful, boy, that matters so much. Whether you listen with ears of humble faith or you listen with ears of doubt and judgment, hardness. I think Jesus is inviting us to be mindful of our the way in which we listen. We all know we can listen in a way that reflects one ear and out the other, yes? Well, I hope you haven't been listening for that last half hour. We can also listen um, with, with, a, with a, hey, this is my life, Jesus. I'm unsure how much I want to give you. Oh, okay, Jesus, this area of my life, but but not this area, right? Just, if I could hold on to this one, Jesus says, I knit you together. I have plans and purposes for every nook and corner of your life. Stephen, the, the first martyr of the church, we're told in the book of Acts, he he gives a long presentation of the gospel going back to the Old Testament and forward. And then he says this. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. They've not been opened up by the Lord. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Whew. In the next seven weeks, leading up to Easter, we're going we're gonna to start Lent just a little bit early. Would we have this posture of listening? Would we have this posture spiritually of saying, Jesus, I, I'm not exactly sure what you're saying through this pandemic or, or through these events of my life, to myself, to to others, Lord God, to the world, and yet I'm listening, Lord. Would you circumcise my heart? Holy Spirit, I, I don't want to resist you. Would you speak? Would you fill? Would you share your wisdom? Can we pray? just want to give you an opportunity. If there's a primary fear or concern that you have in your life, that with, with this portrait of Jesus, you'd like to just place it at his feet. whatever is creating anxiety in your life, 
Would you hear his invitation of do not fear? Would you place it before him? And then would you just open your heart to him and say, Lord, I'm I'm listening. Recognize you, Jesus, as the source of all wisdom. Lord, we certainly don't understand all that's taking place. And yet we know that you have promised that no matter how horrible a a circumstance under your providence, your hand, you'll bring good from it. You'll bring restoration and healing. You'll bring hope, love. We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful that you are our good shepherd. that you lead us by the quiet waters and the pastures, goodness. We're so thankful that you are our Lion of Judah, our resurrected Messiah. We're so thankful that you are our King who rules and reigns. 